come before you, we have proclaimed that we are your church and we have prayed that you would build your church. And Father, we recognize that one of the ways you build your church is through your word. We praise you and thank you for your gift of your word. Your word that is infallible, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and that is authoritative on all matters on which it speaks. So, Father, now as we come and listen to your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remove distractions so that we could focus in and listen to the gift of your word. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, it is so good to lift up praises to the Lord together this morning and now to listen to his word together. And, and you know, I think about this, this uh, you know, I mentioned in the prayer, God's infallible, inspired, authoritative word. And I'm reminded that there are, um, or encouraged to consider uh, for all of us in this room who believe that this is God's infallible, inspired, authoritative word. If you believe that, I wonder what it would be like, how different we would be if we listened to his infallible, inspired, authoritative word every single day and interacted with him about his word every single day and begin to live out what we hear from him. I wonder how different our lives would be and how different the world around us would be. You know, I also acknowledge that there are some in this room who might be unsure, not, not, not believing that this, the Bible, is God's infallible, inspired, and authoritative word. And if that's where you are, then I invite you to consider this morning and any morning we're gathering and, and teaching from God's word, that you would consider what would your life be like? What would be different about life if you did believe that this was God's infallible, inspired, authoritative word. So we listened to his word this morning. Recently, we've been um, looking specifically at 1 Thessalonians and, and looking at how 1 Thessalonians speaks to our identity. It speaks to our sexual desires. It speaks to our purpose. And this morning, we focus in on how it speaks to our understanding of community, specifically how um, our, our identity is framed in part by our understanding of community. In this community, this covenant church community, we often refer to ourselves as the covenant church family because we believe that we are children of God, subjects of King Jesus. So that makes our identity both singular and plural. I am a child of God, and Parks is a child of God, and Bob is a child of God, and Joyce, and Caleb. And so that means we are children of God. We are part of his family. We are his, his people who exists for his kingdom and his glory. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians uses that phrase, that metaphor, brothers and sisters in Christ, 19 times throughout the letter to the Thessalonians. We are heirs. We are God's family. We. 
We want to look at 1 Thessalonians. The passage that we'll focus on most this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul writes, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So part of our identity is family who loves each other. So the main question for this morning is, what does it look like or what does it mean to live more fully as family loving each other? Paul unpacks this a little bit in verse, uh, or chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, as he writes, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. So we're to live at peace, we're to warn each other that the warning comes from a care and concern for each other. We're to encourage each other and help each other and be patient with each other and, and do good for each other. This, is a, this passage is very similar to what Paul writes in Colossians 3.12 when he says, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. This is what it means to love each other as family. Paul tells the Thessalonians that you are doing this well. Now keep on doing this more and more. Love each other as brothers and sisters. This family metaphor, brothers and sisters in Christ, as Paul uses this metaphor over and over again, this family metaphor is, is both a beautiful um, picture and, and it's a distracting picture. It's beautiful in, in that it gives us a snapshot of wholeness, a, a snapshot. When we think about family, when we think about the care and support of a parent. Now, we might have bad examples of that, but, but think first of um, the good examples we have, whether we've experienced it or, or, um, or uh, been on the receiving end of it or the giving end of of parents who give selflessly to their children, the way they care and support their children. There's a snapshot of wholeness in that picture. Or think of the, the comfort of siblings. I think of my kids when they were, especially when they were younger, toddlers, and um, they had basically no uh, no. Um, what do you call it, personal space. They were just all over each other, in each other's business. They loved each other. They were completely comfortable with each other. And, and that's this beautiful snapshot of, of siblings who are comfortable with each other, this snapshot of wholeness that the family metaphor gives us. So this metaphor, it's both beautiful 
because of this snapshot of wholeness, but it's also distracting because it's, it's a reminder of some brokenness that we all experience on some level. We've all experienced on some level the failure or mistreatment within family relationships that causes wounds. So in the midst of this metaphor, it's, remember, it's, it's beautiful, uh, but it's also a distracting um, picture. In, in the reality of family also, we have this reality of an inexplicable connection between family members and, and kind of an equal footing among family members. When I think of the inexplicable connection, I think of for my, um, my brother and sister. Uh, I have a brother two years younger named Curtis who lives in Tokyo, Japan, and a sister three years older who lives named Ginger who lives in Pennsylvania. And I don't get to see them very often, especially my brother, like for a couple days every other year. Um, but what I experience when I get together with my brother and sister is all of a sudden I feel like they are some of my very closest friends. There's this inexplicable connection we have because of growing up together and because we are family. There's also this equal footing among us that is regardless of the different success or wealth or popularity or achievements that we have when we come together we are on we are equals coming together because of sharing the same upbringing so this family metaphor as we think about it it's beautiful it's distracting there's this inexplicable connection there's this equal footing among family then think about what God's family is when we bring that into the metaphor. So when we think about God's family, this snapshot of wholeness becomes incredible because the wholeness that we picture in God's family, God's family, it started with Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect community in the triune God that he invites us into. So the picture of wholeness in God's family is perfect, loving community from all of time for all of time. That is a beautiful picture of wholeness. You know, the reality is when we think about um, God's family, there is no distraction of brokenness. There is no brokenness in God, our heavenly father, who describes himself as full of grace and compassion. He's abounding in love and slow to anger. We have a perfect heavenly father. We get glimpses of what a perfect mother or father would be when, when we experience something of our own parents. Or when we experience the brokenness uh, in our own parents, we experience the longing for what it would be to have a perfect loving parent. But God is our perfect loving heavenly father. The, the connection, the inexplicable connection in God's family has to do with the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit who is in me is the same Holy Spirit who is in Parks. We share this inexplicable connection that is the same spirit in both of us. The equal footing that we share is that we were both um, we came from being dead, spiritually dead, to coming alive with Christ. 
We were redeemed by Christ's blood. So that is the equal footing. We who have put faith in Christ have come from spiritual death to spiritual life. We have all equal footing in that sense. So all of that in God's family is is wrapped with this beautiful um, reality of sacrificial love for one another. We are following and we are fueled by Jesus' example and his redemption. So in, in God's family, this picture we've painted, in God's family, we're not community only in the sense that we're a bunch of people running in the same direction, as this graphic will show in a moment. We're not just people running alongside each other in the same direction, but in God's family, we are linked with each other and reaching out to each other as we travel along life together. Now, when you read Paul's references to brothers and sisters in Christ and God's family, there's this interesting passage in the end of Thessalonians that talks about one of the the markers of this um, family or the regular practices of this family. And perhaps you've heard of it. He says in uh, chapter 5, verse 26, he says, Brothers and sisters, pray for us. And then he says, Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Now, nobody kissed me when I came in this morning. (laughs) And I didn't kiss anybody. And now I'm not all that affectionate. um, but, But I didn't see any of you kissing each other. And so what do we make of this interesting mark of God's family in the early church that they shared this holy kiss with each other that is, is likely, you know, some, some version of a kiss on the cheek? Um, what's the significance of that? What we know from looking into church history is that, that this was a symbol of affection and unity and equality. David uh, shared with um, Session and and our pastoral staff recently a book called by Alan Kreider uh, called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And in this book, the author goes into this whole section on what Paul meant by the holy kiss and what the holy kiss was in the early church and the impact that it had and the example and the symbol that it was. So he describes this. He talks about, okay, the kiss, um, you know, the kiss in that setting, um, in the private setting among the family, you know, that had long been understood as a symbol of um, affection and love, as a husband kisses his wife or as parents kiss their children. The kiss is a long understood symbol of affection and love. Also, at that time in society, the the kiss out in in public in the community was a symbol of social stratification and status. It was a ritual of hierarchy where, depending on the rank, people would kiss the hem of the emperor's robe, or they would kiss his knee, or they would kiss his hand— And in other parts in society, one with higher standing would kiss uh, kiss the, or I'm sorry, one with lower standing would kiss the hand of one with higher standing. Only equals would kiss on the level, so to speak. This this holy kiss, only equals would kiss um, on the cheek. 
So you add this interesting cultural dynamic to to this fascinating reality about the early church, where the early church was the only place in society, one of perhaps the only place in society where the highest and lowest of society came together in community, where both slave and free came together, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, educated and uneducated, rich and poor, all came together in community together. Inexplicable connection, equal footing, wrapped in sacrificial love for one another. It wasn't perfect, but it was family. It was noticeable and dynamic and attractive to the world at that time. So the holy kiss shared by members who are so different from one another, from different walks of life, This holy kiss was a radically countercultural symbol of a radically countercultural family. And the world noticed this family changed the world. So you can imagine that when people who are so different unite, there are going to be some, some friction, some problems, some conflict. I mean, we all know this in our church family. We can look around this room and we can acknowledge that we have been hurt by others in this room, inconvenienced by others in this room. There's been some friction among our family members at different seasons in our life. That's part of what it is when a bunch of different people gather. So David refers to these um, as the friction gifts of the family of God. When you think about, you know, Paul's challenge to us in in 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 through 15, we we see that we have um, our differences, our opportunities for us to show how we can live at peace with each other in the midst of differences, how we can encourage one another and help one another and be patient with one another in the midst of, of our differences, in the midst of the reality that we will stumble over one another, that we will hurt each other. Colossians 3.16 is where Paul writes that we are to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. So the reality is of family is we, we are living and sharing and loving each other. And since we are so different, we are hurting each other. So it's important that we forgive one another. Why? Why do we do that? And and Paul says this in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. He writes, For just as each of us has one body with many members, um, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though we are many, we form one body, one family, Each member belongs to the others. So this is a challenging thought that each of us in our family, we belong to one another. That means that your spiritual health and growth matters to me. That that is that your spiritual health and growth is my business and my spiritual health and growth is your business. We belong to each other as family as we walk this life together. 
Remember in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10, Paul is encouraging brothers and sisters, love each other. You're doing this wonderfully. Now do this more and more. So this has been my experience as well with the Covenant Church family. I've been blessed to be a part of this church family for 23 years, and I've seen, I've been on the the receiving end and been able to see so often that this church family is loving each other as brothers and sisters. And I want to take some time. Uh, This is why I had many of you send in photos of yourself last week, Tuesday at two. And and in fact, so many of you did it. And I'm telling you the truth. Our server literally crashed between two and three on Tuesday. And we had to call. Anyway, um, so so many of you, you sent in pictures. And I wanted to share some of these pictures with you all so we can see the faces of our church family. And while we're looking at these um, pictures of our church family, I want to share with you some stories that... Um, are stories of the way that you, brothers and sisters, have been loving each other as family. As I read these stories, they are true stories that have happened with you all, but I've changed every name because I don't want the names to distract us. I want us to focus in on the act of love to one another as family. So listen to these stories and and have these pictures of our church family in the background. Annie has a reoccurring doctor's appointment in Indianapolis for a season. She's not comfortable driving in Indy and uncertain as to whether she'll feel up to driving at all directly following each appointment. Jared and Diane, two members of her small group, agree to drive her to and from her doctor's appointments. Brothers and sisters, keep loving each other like this more and more. You never know what's going to be showing behind me with with the words I'm saying. But um, so we'll keep on going. Another story. Nora learns of Linda's upcoming surgery and organizes a gathering of several church members to come around and pray for Linda before she leaves for the surgery. So 20 people come and gather and pray for Linda. Dave and Sandy meet a couple at church who are new to town, and they have a sense, they they sense the hunger for Jesus in this couple, and they invite them to dinner so that they can get to know them better. Brothers and sisters, keep on loving each other like this more and more. Abby and Margie are good friends. Margie's sight is failing, and she is struggling to see well enough to read her devotional each morning. So Abby offers to call Margie every morning at a set time and read her devotional to her over the phone. And they do this together for years. Carrie has a lot to navigate in life as she has Uh, as she cares for her special needs child. However, when her family member is having a difficult time in life, Carrie is quick to prepare and deliver a meal for them. Brothers and sisters, keep on loving each other like this more and more. Bill cares faithfully for his wife, Melanie, in the midst of her slipping further and further into dementia. 
Several couples from their small group come alongside them by bringing them meals regularly and coming over to help Bill with different tasks as he cares for Melanie. Penny has built a relationship with Sue over the years as Sue's health progressively limits her. Sue is now bedridden. She comments to Penny one day that she misses looking at the beautiful trees outside her window. So Penny goes out, takes a picture of those trees, has it enlarged, and affixes that picture to the ceiling above Sue's bed so that she can look at it all of the time. Brothers and sisters, keep on loving each other like this more and more. Frank is retired. He organizes his schedule every week so he can offer practical help to two adults with disabilities. Aaron hears of someone who encounters an unexpected financial hardship and anonymously donates a significant financial gift to that person in hardship. And I've seen this one play out time and time again in our church family. Mary's vision impairment restricts her from serving others in many ways. She hears of a family in crisis and offers the one thing that she says she can consistently do for them. So she does that family's laundry every week for two years. Brothers and sisters, keep on loving each other like this more and more. There are so many other stories like this that you all have experienced and that you all um, have seen. Keep on doing this more and more. Paul urges us. We have been united as family through Jesus's death and resurrection. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He died for us and opened the way for us to enter into his peace, his family, not just me with him, but us together as family, peace with God. Mm -hmm.